Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast hosted by me, Josephine Atlery. Do you ever feel like you could use some guidance when life throws you a curveball? By listening to the narratives in this podcast, you will learn from other people's experiences and responses to challenging situations so you can fast track the learning curve to get ahead in your own life. Welcome to another episode of Responding to Life, living reflectively through a journey of health, fertility, and parenthood. Joining me today is my dear friend, Yatunde Daniels Rubenstein. And if you've ever heard me allude to the friend who inspired me to meditate, well, this right here is that beautiful soul and who you all have to thank. Yatunde is an intuitive, passionate educational leader, skilled equity facilitator, proud girl mom, joy seeker, and truth teller. Yatunde was born and raised in Guyana and earned her undergraduate and graduate degrees in psychology and counseling here in the U.S. Her role as a daughter, sister, and mother to two incredible young women drives her to focus on the elevation of the underserved and the protection of women and girls. She is the founder of Arising Consulting and co-founder of She Rose Rise, a nonprofit organization serving underserved girls. Honestly, I couldn't think of a better person to have today's conversation about IVF pregnancy after loss and adoption and our different pregnancy experiences. Yatunde is a generous and soulful person, and I'm so excited to begin this discussion with her. Welcome to the show, Yatunde. I'm so pumped to have you here talking with me today. And today what we are discussing is IVF pregnancy after both loss and then finally adopting, and then weaving it into our own personal pregnancy experiences, how they were similar, how they were different. And that is where this conversation is going to take us. Josephine, I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you. I think the work that you're doing is so wonderful. I'd love to hear about um, life after the adoption of your first of your son and how specifically, if at all, your pregnancy dream shifted after that adoption. Well, I, I can't wait to talk to you about this. And so you know, after we adopted our first son from Kazakhstan, uh, it was probably about four years into trying to have a child. And then all of a sudden, we had a 10-month-old who, who was on the smaller side. So it was almost like having, it was like having a newborn. And, and then life seemed to, like, the cloud that was over us seemed to just lift out of nowhere. And it was... It was an amazing, like my dreams came true and we were able to just enjoy him and, and yeah, and it was fantastic. But at the same time, because fertility is so, um, it's so pressing in terms of time and we knew we wanted to try, perhaps give it one more go because after trying for so many years, you know, uh, the reason we pivoted to adoption was to have that mental and physical break. But 
now that we had like five months into having our son with us, you know, we knew it would take still more time if we were going to try IVF. So we figured, you know, now is the time to at least begin the paperwork, at least begin the testing. And we knew we didn't want to go into a new, into that old facility, the, the first two that we tried. We knew that if this was going to be our last shot, that we would go with a place that was the best. And we're fortunate that we have a lot of friends who are ob And so I just picked their brain because before, before IVF is sort of, you know, back in the day, it was this thing that you didn't want to talk about. It was almost like wearing the scarlet letter of like, this is your failure and you do not want to talk about this. And people knew that you shouldn't talk about it with them. And so I never really asked people about, you know, where should we go? Even the friends who were, who were doctors and who would probably have some advice about it. And so I finally reached out to them and they gave me the name of this one place in Denver. And they had, you know, after looking them up, they had the best success rates in the country. And so even though we were living in New Hampshire, we decided to work with them. And, you know, we're fortunate because our parents were still so young and they were able to help out with our son with like, on the few times that we had to go out there and travel out to Denver to do tests and then finally the egg retrieval and then the egg transfer and the embryo transfer. So, you know, we did that probably, it was almost coming close to a year of having our son home with us that we decided to go ahead and do it. And, um, and really because I think, you know, yeah, you know, as a mom, you get busy and the, like that first year is kind of like a blur. Not that I was breastfeeding or anything, but it's just a, it was a blur of being a new mom and like all the things with that. And so I was distracted. It wasn't like before when I was doing IVF and that was, that was my only focus. And even though I was working and catering and event planning, I would just, I was so hyper-focused on, on those cycles. But this time, you know, I did all the paperwork and I did all the appointments, but I had my son to play with and to, you know, go through all the different milestones with. So it really wasn't, you know, it took a lot of stress off of it. And so that immediately was different. And then, but then once we did do the transfer, then everything changed. Like that carefree attitude and that those new mom feels and experience that I was living in and, and relishing in all of a sudden I felt, you know, that cloud that I was talking about start to creep back in because right before the adoption, we had that loss at 17 weeks. And so right from when those embryos were transferred and I didn't know yet I was pregnant, I started that worry started to creep in. And then a few weeks later we found out we were pregnant and then found out we were pregnant again with twins and, and then it just got worse with each day. Like, um, in terms of your stress levels, my stress levels and yes. And just worrying about not making air quotes, the same mistakes that I made the last time, even though I didn't know what, like I had picked my brain as to what it was that could have happened so that I could prevent it in the future. But unfortunately, they never gave me any 
answers about what really happened, aside from calling it an, inc an incompetent cervix, I was left with, with no information. So I was walking on eggshells and I tried not to think about it. And I did have the benefit of having our son. So, you know, I was able to focus on him and try not to worry so much about that, that pregnancy and losing it. And so that first trimester was this mix of trying to enjoy him and not freak myself out. And, you know, lo and behold, we made it through the first trimester. But still, because the, that loss happened into the second, I still couldn't, like I still couldn't let it let up. And, and because of that loss, we ended up going straight to a maternal fetal medicine doctor in Boston. And he's the one who guided my pregnancy versus a regular OB. Right. And um, he was fantastic. He really, you know, he threw what he said was he, he's going to throw the kitchen sink at me. And so he, he performed something called a cerclage where he tied up my cervix to keep it closed. And then um, after that, like regular check-ins, uh, at the beginning it was every two weeks and then towards the end it was every week. And, and then as we were getting closer and closer, it became modified bed rest to as much rest as possible, which mm -hmm. they were still doing back then. And that's when, that's when we had to, like our parents weren't there, we were in New Hampshire. We had to get an au pair to help us out because mm -hmm. now we couldn't carry my son. And now, you know, he was starting to walk and run around and like, I couldn't chase him. And so that part was tough. Um, but like my overall feeling about that, about that pregnancy was that it sucked. And I hated every minute of it. <laughs> Just being honest, I wasn't happy, but I was happy that and, and felt blessed that, okay, like, with every week, especially after the 24 week mark, which is mm. safe zone for being able to deliver and have them viable, even though they would be in the NICU and, you know, still their chances of survival might not be good, but at least they could be delivered. Um, so even after, even after that point, it was still, it was still a nightmare. And, um, and then I held them until 40 weeks at which <laughs> which is crazy. <laughs> that cerclage worked. That doctor was amazing. <laughs> just that, that was the kitchen sink holding them in. <laughs> the kitchen sink. Oh my God. And so, and then I had to have a C-section. Like I wasn't even contracting at all. And then, mm. um, and then as you know them now, <laughs> since our kids go to school together, though they were born, they were healthy. And then after that delivery, I felt like, I could breathe. Mm. Like that was like this huge, you know, even, well, not the medication, but just like this sigh and yeah. that like a, a weight had been lifted off of me and then replaced by having, having the, um, the energy depleted by having three kids under the age of two. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I traded that willingly for that, constant state of fear that I was in. Yeah. So that was my pregnancy. It wasn't, it was not what I thought it would ever be like, you know, after all of those years of IVF, like 
once I finally get pregnant, it'll be so great. It'll, it'll, my dreams will come true because then I can be that happy pregnant lady and, Mm. and all those things like the baby shower and, and register for things. I, I refuse to have a baby shower. I waited till the very last moment to register for anything or even get anything because I couldn't bring myself to that point. And, and I don't know, I, I, maybe, you know, I talk about this later, but it, it was trauma that I never really dealt with. And I should have retrospect. I should have grieved that the loss of not having the pregnancy I wanted. I mean, obviously I grieve the loss of the, the twins at 17 weeks, but just, just the whole thing. Like I didn't give myself enough time to, or, or know to be able to grieve even just the process yeah. and what it ended up being versus what I had expected it to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that, I love how you were able to articulate so wonderfully, so clearly what was a very long period. I'm like walking through the process with you right now as you're talking about it and holding my own breath about, oh my God, what must that have been like? And just thinking about the various milestones you must have had, you know, throughout that entire process and the, the checkups and like having flashbacks to the many checkups you have to do when you're pregnant and kind of waiting to hear what the doctor has to say based on this checkup. Wow. Just wow. Well, that's why I asked you to be the one to talk to about this because you're just this, I think I, it's in my intro. You're just this nurturing sort of soul. And I feel like this was the perfect fit for having this really like, it brings up a lot of stuff. I don't know if you could hear it, but my voice was shaking as I was talking about it. Um, that's yeah, heavy. Right. That's so heavy, Josephine. I mean, the you just said the four years of IVF. Let's not, you know, let's underscore that. That is not an easy process alone in itself. The adoption process alone in itself. It's not an easy, simple process. Then the you you know taking us back to the fact that this is there are so many things that were not talked about. And there was so much silence around what should have been a much more open conversation, um, which could have helped so many people, mm-hmm. you know, right. not have to, to suffer. And that that's the, 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 the theme that keeps coming up as you're talking just now, just the silence that you must have had to deal with and kind of suppress. And then you talk about that grief piece. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my goodness. Well, I, you know, as I talk more and more about this story, uh, like those sorts of things came to light. It Mm. didn't even occur to me to grieve an expectation, you know, and and I was just talking to someone else about it. I'm like, oh my God, she grieved the fact that like this one guest of mine, that she, she was a NICU mom and she gave herself the time to grieve not being able to carry full term. I mean, her son is beautiful now, but I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you for knowing that you needed that and, and then doing it and having the courage to do it. Cause a lot as, you know, as moms, we, we just like shove everything in because we have to keep doing all the other stuff. Yeah. And, 
And kudos to her for finding that time, even though yeah. she's taking care of her son in the NICU. And so, you know, that made me think about my own process and it made sense about a lot of, a lot, like a lot of trauma that came up in the future because there was a lot of unresolved stuff. And then that whole idea of not being able to talk to other people about it. You can talk to people about loss, you know, when you lose someone and everyone's, you know, tiptoes around that and, but they're there for you and just waiting for you to talk about it. But then talking about other sorts of things and grieving like an expectation or even the, the whole IVF process itself. Like back then, no one was talking about it. And now it's so amazing to see all these on social media, which, you know, there are benefits to it. All these groups of women who are able to connect and support each other. They don't even know each other and they're able to reach out. Everyone has different stories, but there are a lot of similarities and there's comfort in that. Yes. And, you know, like sitting in these waiting rooms, as you had to do as well for your pregnancy, we never just went over to another woman like, girl, how is your pregnancy doing? You're in the first trimester. Are you sick? What is happening? No, no one ever did that. Everyone's sitting yes. there in silence, yes. reading those dirty magazines. I mean, oh, not dirty. No, yes, like germ, germ battery. Oh my God. And so it was like all these missed opportunities, you yeah. know? And and so I'm thankful for this conversation. Yeah. So, you know, it starts people talking about stuff. And it takes away the mystery, you know, and the mystery, therefore the horror. If you imagine the stories you create about what IVF must be or not um, with, with the silence. And it's, it's so helpful that it's no longer silence. And so happy to have this conversation too. <laughs> um, I, I also think the, the other piece that keeps coming up for me is courage. You said, oh, I didn't have the courage to grieve. I, I would push back on that a little bit and say you had the courage to do a whole lot else. Again, think about everything else that you were doing. Um, Welcoming this young baby into your family and loving him wholeheartedly takes an incredible amount of courage. Everything that you've just explained, just in this brief encounter in your life, by the way, not the many other pieces. Um, takes so much courage. I definitely want to, you know, hold you up and salute that for sure. And think about how do you, I don't know if you even think back to that time, how do you have the courage to keep going? What was motivating you to keep going? Because as you said, you've got a lot of other things going on. You could have simply kept, you know, air quotes, kept busy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why keep going? I didn't want to have just one child. I grew up, I knew that much. And, and if it had to be adoption again, totally cool with it. But I figured, well, you know, my body and my mind has rested. So maybe I can try IVF again. And then if it doesn't work, then adoption again, because at least two, you know, I, I had my brother, but I grew up with a huge family. And for me, that equated with love that equated to all my fondest Mm -hmm. memories as a child and I wanted to at least somehow replicate that for my, my own children. Because the same was said for my husband. He wanted also to have a big family, but he gave me the space to 
sort of take the lead on how we approach things. You know, he supported me in whichever way I wanted to go. I wanted to stop. I wanted to pivot to a new plan. He was always ready to go with whatever, which was a credit to him and super supportive. And so, you know, then, and I talk about this in other places, but, you know, when he was sick as we were dating and then, you know, he's, he was better. And then we got married right away. When you have like a near death experience, you have a new appreciation for life. Yes. And if you're smart and if you're lucky enough to have that second chance, uh, not just as the person going through it, but also as like the, the spouse or the partner or the loved ones around them, if you're smart enough to take advantage of that opportunity and use it to guide you for the rest of your life, like you have a whole new appreciation for life because you realize that it's fleeting. It dictates now your actions and what you pursue. And I think that also was an underlying factor in how we approach the whole IVF journey because we knew that, <laughs> that this was just momentary and life would keep going. And so we were courageous in, in just attempting it and, and then trying to ride the waves, the ups and downs of the whole thing. Yeah. As a couple. Yeah, that's really fabulous. The other piece that you mentioned was the, you know, you're doing the process now and with this massive geographic distance. Um, and what was that like? You mentioned it was smooth and wonderful. Um, but the, and the timing of that feels like it worked out just right too. Do you have any reflections on that time? Yeah, I thought it would be difficult, but they, because they were so, so renowned for their success rates, they had people coming from all over. And so they had their networks everywhere, even in New Hampshire. So I would just do labs and everything out there and talk to the nurses over the phone and via email. And then going out there, like I said, we were able to call in the parents. Thankfully, they were just they were all so young back then and able to help out so willing because now they were going there and actually caring for their grandson. So it was super fun for them. And this place was so much like with each place that we tried, this was the third and final place. But with each place that we tried, it just got better and better. Mm. And this place, I mean, it was like night and day from the very first place we went. These people introduced me to acupuncture. Back oh then, God. in like, like what was that? Like twelve years ago, because they had me do acupuncture right before the um the embryo transfer to really just calm my body and to bring, you know, blood flow into my uterus and all. I mean, mm. they had their stuff together, and so I felt like I was a partner in the process, and I felt like I was super comfortable with them, and that's really important to have you know, you're trusting science and you're trusting these doctors so if you can have a little bit more comfort in your relationship with them then all the better um in terms of your experience and then how your body and your mind feel when you're working with them so for me the distance wasn't really too much of a factor because they were so great yeah that's really wonderful and that's i think with 
um, pregnancy, one thing that I keep coming back to as I was thinking in preparation for this, how much of a miracle and a gift and something to be treasured um, it is. Because I remember during the time when people would ask, you know, oh, how is it being pregnant? And I'm like, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming to think of, the, if you think of the biology of the process, like everything that needs to be firing at the right time mm-hmm. it was mind is mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciated it so much, just like, wow, that I was able to carry a child that's mm-hmm. beyond me. I still, I'm like mind blown, like me cut, cut, cut it before we <laughs> go too far. But, um, to me, it, it's just, and then thinking again about your process, just how incredible the, the, the amount of strength, resilience, and all things wonderful must have gone into who you are to be able to do that. So thank yeah. you. I'd love to hear how your pregnancy was because like, as I mentioned before, they're all so different. Yeah. Everyone's experiences, everyone I talk to is just so different. So, I mean, how did that, how was it for you? Well, my first with um, my um, older daughter, it's, we were told um, because I have PCOS Mm, um, mm-hmm. polycystic ovarian syndrome that, you know, it wasn't, we, we I'm probably never going to have children. Um, and it wasn't, it was just kind of like a part of a routine, you know, my routine annual checkup with a physician I really trusted. And I thought under, I understood who I was. Um, so that felt really devastating. Although I, I was not the person who was like, I need to have kids, but it's mm. still devastating to think, even right. if I wanted to, I wouldn't have that opportunity. Um, and so that took a little while to kind of wrap my brain around. And then surprise, lo and behold, I got pregnant. Oh, well, okay. I'm sorry, I thought you said <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So I was unprepared. Um, but again, felt it was an absolute miracle and treated, but at the same time felt very, very, because of that miracle, I was, you know, I, I meditated. It felt, I felt very close to women around the world. I kept, and I, that kind of kept me through my entire, both pregnancies, um, feeling like, yes, this is a miracle, but you can do it because this has been done and there are currently women right now around the world in various stages of pregnancies. And so that feeling of the universality of the process too was really helpful for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, also pregnancy can be super isolating. Um, Sometimes people don't understand if, or if you're early in the pregnancy where you feel really sick or, you feel mm-hmm. very unsure, you're confused, you're tired, but there's no way to share that with someone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're just kind of, there's a lot, again, there's a lot of silence of just pushing through. Um, so that, that was my first and my second pregnancy. I was super sick um, mm-hmm. for a long time. I wasn't, my first pregnancy, I wasn't sick. I was, yeah, I had 
but I wasn't sick like the second time around okay. where I felt like I couldn't brush my teeth. Are you also surprised then with your second because of the PCOS or was it after the first pregnancy then was it fixed or? No, I, it's the craziest thing. Um, I went on medication uh, once I found out about the PCOS and then, as I said, got this surprise pregnancy. And then for my second, I developed fibroids, like really large mm. fibroids, mm-hmm. um, which then also they had got the same news, you know, it's going to be really difficult, mm-hmm. but the, those two also shrunk. So yeah, both pregnancies were surprises. Um, both pregnancies are, so were the kind of thing that, um, again, which I, which is why I think what contributed to me feeling like this is an absolute miracle and Mm -hmm. I will protect this and nurture myself and this process and not disrespect what my body has been tasked with. Mm -hmm. Um, and did you have, so you have sisters But were you the one who was pregnant first? Did you have people to, you said it was a little bit, could be lonely at times and isolating. Did you have people to talk to who were friends who were pregnant or already had kids? No, we were the, one of the earliest of our friend group. Mm. I think there was one other friend um, couple yeah, who had kids, um, who got pregnant early and it wasn't even early. I was 30. Yeah. Same. So, <laughs> but given our, our generation, it was, we were the one of the first and I, it's, it's the weirdest thing because it felt, I know there were, I, I had many other friends who were trying, were having difficulty and mm-hmm. it was, I, you know, it's not something we talked about and it felt like I would be intruding on their process by talking about mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would often leave it up to them and kind of just depended on my mom okay. to answer questions, but even so as, you know, as much or as little, but I also turned a lot to what, what is, what was the book? What to expect when you're expecting. Oh, yeah. So I read that. Well, I read that for the first three months until it felt like it was catastrophizing the pregnancy. And I'm like, okay, we're done here. Oh, it uh, does have that, those sections. <laughs> it does have those sections. <laughs> yeah, those should have oh, disclaimers on yes. it. Yes. So I, yeah. Mike was then, um, he was assigned to reading it. So I kind of depended oh. on, on my OB, um, okay. my mom, and just kind of, I really wanted to be very in, in tune with my body. So I was doing a lot of just sitting and quiet and listening and going with the flow and trying to remember what I had observed of mm-hmm. my grandparents and the older women mm. around me as I was growing up. Um, so, yeah. It's wild to me that you said that because I was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, in Chicago. I I went to high school with her and um, it was that same idea of us not wanting to burden our friends with whatever is going on with us or else whatever we knew 
might be going on with them, but didn't want to talk to them about it. And, and it's just so fascinating to me, even at this point of our lives, that that's where we are in terms of being women and expressing ourselves and, and not expressing ourselves. Yeah. There is a lot of that. And, you know, the, after my first um, delivery, I made a pact to myself that I will tell anybody who wants to listen about the truths of pregnancies that they never tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So anybody who wanted to listen, I'm like, let me tell you what happens to your body that they don't tell you. (laughs) There's a whole lot of changes that happens that it's really surprising. And if you think about for when you talk about the grieving process, it's like you are a vessel that you've lived in that body for all your lives, your life, but that your, your body changes so mm-hmm. much. And mm-hmm. it's, I'm like, I am unrecognizable to myself. And yeah. I was not prepared. Like, I felt like nobody told me that. No one. Like, you carry the baby, you have it, you have the baby, and then you go back to normal. I'm like, I, I have no. not, not everything has changed. <laughs> so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still changing yeah, over still. here. <laughs> oh my goodness! So hot at night. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody talks about this stuff. That's a good pact. Oh, and then yes. look, you're you're fulfilling it right now as you yeah. speak. Yes. <laughs> but uh, you're absolutely correct in that we're there's so much we don't talk about, and I mm. try, and I, it's. I think it's a bit generational. You know, if you think about what our our mothers endured um, Mm -hmm. and just kind of pushed through because that was the culture and we were a bit more enlightened than they were. But there's still a lot that we don't discuss. And then I see the 30-somethings and the 20-somethings who were just out there speaking their truths from the beginning. Yeah, you're right. Gosh. Right. Okay. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. Give me, give me a minute to reset my brain on that because right. I wasn't ready, but it's great because, and I, you know, think about raising my two girls. Oh, just, mm-hmm. yes. I want you to not have to feel like you need to suppress any part of yourself. Somebody said to me, um, you know, I, I'm going to botch the phrase, but you're allowed to have the full expression of your emotions. Um, and that just hit me in my gut because I'm like, I don't know if I know how to access all the full expression of my emotions. Yes. But that's that what I, I try to push to my girls and we try our very best. But again, if, if, if it is something you have not learned growing up and was not practiced as much and as explicitly, um, it does take some undoing and and, and mm-hmm. redoing and reteaching and relearning. So that's what I am actively, I try to do with everybody, the students that I work with, everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, come all the way through with your truth. Let's sit with it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. I am going to sit with my feelings on your truth because sometimes I too am not ready to hear everything you have to say. Yeah. But I want you to say it. Mm-hmm. And just remind myself that whatever the reactions I'm having, it's my reaction. It's not you. I love that phrase of full expression of our emotions. 
Yes. Because I don't think, as you were saying that, I was reflecting on myself. And I don't think, you know, I feel like I could go deeper and really, but it's scary to be vulnerable to your own emotions. Because you don't know what's going to pop up. And then when it does pop up, you don't know what to do with it. So that's part of the fear is like, okay, it's going to come out. But then what am I supposed to do about that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I keep thinking when Zaniya was young, um, when she was a baby, I would have her, you know, you got the strategic places you put the kid while you're getting stuff done. So she Uh would just be on the counter in her bouncer. And I would feel her watching me. Mm. And so I have that image burned in my mind as a reminder of the importance of being authentic and the Mm -hmm. importance of pushing through when that emotion or whatever the thing is that you're feeling, try your very best. This is for myself to explain, you know, mommy is experiencing whatever, you know, or there are some things that Sometimes mommy just needs to not explain to you. I need to process it on my own or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, because I do, I feel, I feel them watching and learning from my behavior, from our behavior as adults. And I want it to be as authentic and true as possible mm-hmm. so that when they've got their lives down the road, at some point they can hopefully access their true selves and it's not practice based on, Oh, I watch my mom perform. Oh, I mm. watch my dad perform. It's right. when mom is pissed, she goes all in when she is not, she's not, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. I, I yeah. know if, and it, it, it's, a, it takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and it's a lot of repetition. And sometimes yeah. it's like, Oh my God, but that's, that's where I, I sit right now with it. I just, yeah, that that's a great way to model it for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're being, you're being authentic in that process of saying, expressing the feelings, but then saying that you need to process it. I'm a processor. It drives my husband crazy, but (laughs) I need to, he's so quick, you know, he's like, he can answer whatever I cannot. I need at least two days (laughs) to like, let it sit. And then figure out how I want to respond to it. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I should just verbalize that to the children and just more often so that yeah. they can see that, okay, well, you know, different people process things in different ways and this is how mommy's doing it. So yeah, and whatever works. And then that's, that to me is the piece. It's whatever works for you and whatever yeah. works for your family. You know, I, and I think this is working now. I could be dead Mm. wrong, but I think we are doing a good job now, (laughs) but I just feel like you, everybody's got to do what's right for their family and their circumstance, you know? Yeah. And and honor that too. Like get this, the pressure away from, Oh, I have to do this way. or I have to do that way. Um, Maybe that will help to alleviate some of the silence in which we grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is definitely that pressure of having to perform your parenting in a certain way and having your family be a certain way. But, you know, with, and back to that point that everyone has to do things differently. Each of our children are so different. Mm 
from their siblings. And so that for me is a little tricky in that I have to parent one child in one way and then the other one in a different way. And sometimes for me, I'll be honest, it, like, I wish I could just parent in the same way, like across the yes. board. <laughs> because, and then sometimes I'll forget, like, oh, I forgot. This person needs more, this person needs more coddling. And this person, I can just tell it to them straight and be done with it, you know. Uh, and it, that per- part for me is really tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And that no one told me about as well. Yeah. And I don't think our parents did this um, um, yeah. individualized parenting that we <laughs> And again, let's not forget, you've got to do that five times over. Oh, I know. <laughs> so. I'm trying to pair some into the same type of stuff. It's not working. <laughs> yeah. Well, when they get to a certain age, I feel like you can tell them, this is what you need you can go over there and take care of it. You don't need me to be involved in that thing. Like yeah. you need, yeah. well, it, this is again, my own personal belief. Like you can just keep it moving, little girl. You know, you need to take this time out. You need to do what, great, work it out. Mommy doesn't need to get involved in that. So, yeah. Oh man. It's also tricky to do. I, yes. I like sending them off on their own, but part of me is like, oh, let's just, Let's just help them out a little bit. We need a little help, except on days that I'm tired and then just get on my face. Yes. Listen, whatever works, whatever works. So this kind of leads me into, I wanted to just talk briefly about this amazing thing that you're doing because you're very supportive of women. And now, you know, as being a mother and being, um, helping other women and now you have this organization that yes. is getting up and running and I'd love for you to tell us about it yeah we could support you in your vision um I thank you so much for that I have every for the past three three six six years I don't remember but <laughs> we've been doing this young women's conference and every year Every time we do it, um, you see the need for more services for girls, for young girls. And actually along the very lines that we were just discussing, more opportunities for girls to examine and grow internally, be, mm-hmm. be strengthen who they are internally so that they can move into the world with as the best versions of themselves, unapologetically so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I have got two incredible co-conspirators who are we're partnering with um, to form Shiro's Rise for, and we're putting together programming for girls eight through 19 okay. in three different blocks of age groups to help girls find their voices, be rooted in their truths. And as I said, move into the world as the absolute best version of themselves, uplifting each other, also, mm-hmm. as they're going, learning how to um, work in cooperation with other women, learning how to bring other women and girls along in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're focusing specifically on, gr- on girls who are coming from underserved circumstances. Okay. Um, so girls who may be coming out of households where the culture is to be silent uh, mm-hmm. and the culture is to suppress yourself. 
And that's to some extent, we honor that. But if the girl would like something a little bit different or would like to understand how to navigate, culturally navigate those circumstances, you know, learning how to write strong, be an an incredible writer, learning Mm -hmm. how to trust her body through various physical activities, Mm -hmm. learning how to meditate and access who she is. um, All those pieces we want girls to know and have it at their fingertips. Um, And again, focusing on underserved girls, girls from underserved and underrepresented backgrounds is where we'd like to take this. Amazing. Launching soon. Yeah. Okay. And so you'll tell us how we can find you and find the organization and support you in the future. I will absolutely drop the website, share the website info and Instagram. Um, And we've got some really wonderful sponsors and board members lined up. Um, So it's, it's really, it's, it's going to be great and it's our life's work. Um, it's a a labor it is coming together it's coming together in a global pandemic right time of social unrest and upheaval (laughs) yeah that's amazing it's great it's great thank you (laughs) very exciting to see how how it starts to provide benefit for so many young girls out there which is so needed especially in those underserved areas right yeah. And so that maybe like the future generations won't be talking about how they need to suppress their feelings, even yes. around their friends. Let's get yes. rid of Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's, and even in talking to some of the girls now, it's been, you know, we've been consulting with some, some of our young sheroes to see what, what oh. are the needs? Oh, what are, nice. where are you? What do you want us to be doing? And they are, have been mind bogglingly wonderful. You know, from talking about the importance of inclusive language in our mission, to Mm. um, speaking to making sure we're including the LGBTQIA community. Like, it's been really, really wonderful. Um, So, yes, we're very happy and hopefully launching soon. Of course, you are involved. Yeah. (laughs) You don't know it yet, but you are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You know you you are. (laughs) Sign my name wherever it is. Yeah. Amazing. I'm super pumped for you this is going to be great yes and i always like to end you know i could keep talking to you forever but we'll have to take it for a walk uh, yes um i always like to shift the end of the conversation and the rest of our day into positivity so Mm. if you could give me a couple of gratitudes for today i'd love to hear them yes thank you i am grateful for you and your friendship and your listening ear always. Um, I'm grateful that you've been able to provide this platform to so many women to be able to benefit from, and even learning how that it's okay to tell their stories. I think that is Mm -hmm. such a massive void that exists for women. So very grateful to you for that. Um, I am, you know, I'm grateful for living in Los Angeles, quite frankly. The weather is unreal. I'm very Mm -hmm. excited that in the midst of our stay at home orders, we can stay at home and have open doors. Um, Yes. So I I really can't ignore that. I'm grateful for my two lovely daughters and husband who have, you know, we've 
we're in month four or five of this thing now, and we're hunkering down and doing okay. And for family and friends who have been incredibly supportive, um, I think that's that's all I've got. In that's terms a of lot of gratitude. That's good. You you could have kept going. I like that. Yeah. Thank oh, you I gotta that. live there. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Oh, okay. I am grateful. <sighs> okay. Um, today I did this double meditation for one of my corporate clients and it's their women's network. And I was able to do it for their East coast group. And then later on in the day for their West coast group. <clears throat> and I was super grateful for that because even though I'm not in a room with them, I thought, Oh, this is gonna, this is gonna be hard. Cause I don't get that energy from them. I can't see yes. how they're doing, how they're feeling, how they're responding. But through the questions afterwards, I really got that. And that made me so happy. Mm. I was able to answer some fantastic questions that they had. And it made me feel, it reconnected me to, you know, this, this work. And I was super happy. It filled my heart. So that was yeah. my gratitude. And then talking to you, this is a great boost to the end of my day. Like being able to to chat and laugh with you always always a pleasure always so much fun so thank you so much it's a great way to end it thank you for sharing about pregnancy and your motherhood experiences yes thank you thank you thank you for joining me for today's episode with you today i challenge you to try out what we talked about where she mentioned experiencing the full range of one's emotions. And be sure to check out her projects. I will add all of the links and her contact information in this episode summary and on my website. As a reminder, I now have fertility and parenting-specific meditation sessions and workshops available on my website, jayatlurie.com. Be sure to check it out, along with the free video meditations that I have on the site. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, a podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to receive a bi-monthly newsletter with an exclusive and free video meditation, along with wellness tips and deals, please go to www.respondingtolifepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter by entering your email address in the pop-up box. In there, you'll also learn my seven-step process on how to meditate like a pro so you can stress less and live more joyfully. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with your friends and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.